AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Hopefully a good day for you. We have lots to talk about today, some interesting topics. We have the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. We'll see how optimistic uh, farmers are about the current issues as well as future trends, so we'll talk about that. Very interesting uh, research being done on population shifting. Um, Before COVID, we had seen people leaving rural America, heading to more of the urban areas for various reasons. But then COVID kind of, one of the things that's come out of this is kind of a reversal. People kind of going back, migrating back to rural areas. We're going to take a look at that trend with Julie Davis with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. And we're going to get a harvest update. We'll go to Nebraska soybean farmer Greg Anderson will be joining us on the program. Let's start things off with the news. We'll start with Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Todd, good to talk with you. um, Good morning. Okay. We continue to watch this political battle going on, this political theater, if you will, over the spending bills. And just when it, then it, we again looked like the Democrats were going to get this pushed through, Senator Manchin steps up and says, of all things, this to me is so refreshing for a politician to say this, let's actually look at how this much this will really cost how we pay for it, and what will be the real impact of it. I find that uh, remarkably refreshing in in this world of politics we live in today. It sounds pretty sensible to me. Yeah, you know, Mike, and uh, when you think about it, um, Congress was really organized and created in such a way to be pretty deliberative, you know, especially the Senate. Um, and so the fact that we're maybe going to put the brakes on it a little bit, um, it, you're right. It is refreshing, although I think that it seems that we're headed for a vote possibly yet this week. But to hear that from a member of Congress, I think, is something we don't hear very often. You know, usually, uh, well, at least recent history, a lot of times large uh, legislative packages are passed, uh, you know, and then we kind of find out after the fact, <laughs> you know, what some of the greater details were. And so, yeah, I think this is probably a prudent idea. You know, we'll see where that goes. And uh I do think, too, that, uh, you know, the infrastructure package that we talk about a lot, um, it seems that they're pretty well done on that. At least the Senate passed it, and, uh, you know, now the House needs to take it up. And I think that's going to be a possibility at this week, too. But you're right. It is uh, it is refreshing to see it kind of a, a step back on this. Well, usually we hear about CBO scoring of a bill. Well, you can't score it if you don't yeah. really have it written. So uh, usually, I mean, talk getting ahead of yourself. Always before you you got that CBO scoring and kind of then uh, went from there. But uh, that's not been the yeah. case here. Here's what I find interesting for agriculture, um, I, and I've already seen some ag groups come out and say, "Well, yeah, we like some of the spending that's in there for us." And I understand that, and I understand how important infrastructure is. Get all that, but it just seems like agriculture is taking the position, you know, well, if they're going to pass something, let's make sure we get what we can out of it. And I understand that. But I just think you have to be careful here. you got to look at what's the overall impact of more spending in inflationary times. And can it do more harm than good, even if you see the some things that, in there that you want? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right. I mean, I think every time these things come up, uh, we see interest from a variety of, of places uh, about what's in a bill and and the fact that you're you know you're seeing agriculture uh, come out and say we you know we like what's in there and, and all that and let's pass it. I, I don't think that's anything new, but you're right. We're at a time where we are seeing inflation. I mean, there there are some things in the economy that uh, some warning signs here and there. Uh, you know, why not take some more time on this? Why not get a CBO score and and really take a look at this. And I, I think you're right. That's um, that's a huge concern. I mean, at least for the long-term health of the economy and, um, you know, taxpayers in general who uh, would stand to, you know, end up paying more in this, in this legislation potentially. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't think that you're going to see uh, any difference in the way 
you know, people respond to these bills going forward, but you're right. I think it definitely has, uh, you know, we've hit the time now where we need to really look at this. Let's uh, look at some other issues. President is rolling back Endangered Species Act reforms. Endangered Species Act, always controversial. Uh, what's the latest on this? Yeah, you know, Mike, uh, back in the Trump administration, uh, <clears throat> they had made a number of changes to the uh, to the act. And, and you're right, we've seen throughout history of the ESA, uh, ag concerns come up quite a bit in terms of, you know, land use and, and how it affects uh you know, whether, whether people can build on their land, what they can do on their land. And, um, you know, we've seen the, the, the Biden administration come back and, and take the steps to roll back some of the things that Trump had done. Uh, and those, and those reforms that Trump had made, it was, it was widely supported by ag. And, uh, you know, I think it's just another one in the, in the, in the steps that the Biden administration is taking everything that the Trump administration did, the Biden administration has countered to roll that back. And so this is, really just part of an ongoing uh, trend that we're seeing. Uh, ag in the courtroom, we have a lawsuit uh, concerning the ethanol market. Yeah, uh, you know, Mike, we had a we had a class action lawsuit that was filed a while back, Green Plains, which is based in Omaha, that sued Archer Daniels Midland, uh, alleging ethanol market manipulation. Uh, that first lawsuit was basically thrown out by court, uh, but that was a class action. And so what Green Plains has done, they filed a new lawsuit in Nebraska uh, seeking damages to just their company. Uh, it's basically identical. You know, there's a lot of allegations made in the lawsuit about uh, ADM manipulating the market, uh, particularly at the Argo terminal. Uh, and we'll see where it goes. But uh, definitely, this is quite a bit different. You look at the allegations themselves, they're very similar. But uh, Green Plains is, is looking out for its own interest at this point. And speaking of ethanol and biofuels, the ethanol industry is saying to the administration, hey, you're in Scotland, you're talking climate change. How about talking up biofuels as a way to address these issues? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Mike. You're right. You hear a lot of talk over and, you know, during this, this big conference that's going on. And ethanol really never is part of the discussion. Although when you look at things that have gone on here in the administration uh, here at home, it's not been a lot of part of the discussion either. And so... I think we're going to be seeing some things shaken up on that. Um, I think a number of ethanol groups may be uh, poised to take some action, and uh, we'll see what happens. We are scheduled to talk with Secretary Vilsack at that conference uh, tomorrow. He's supposed to be uh, uh, checking in with us from Scotland. We'll see if that if we can make that connection. And uh, he's there, of course, going to talk about uh, how agriculture can play a part in dealing with the climate issues. Yeah, and you know that's it's good to see Ag Voice there. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when you so when these things happen, you know, we've seen other uh, similar events overseas um, when it comes to these discussions, and um, a lot of the time you don't hear Ag as being a part of it. But yeah, to hear Vilsack being there and being involved, I think is a pretty good sign. All right, Todd, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, we get the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. What will the numbers tell us this month? We'll find out next. We'll talk with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. About 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain. If you're part of that 80%, you know a dryer fueled with propane distributes heat and dries grain more evenly. With FS Propane, you can increase harvest quality, improve productivity, and lower fuel cost. Propane from FS ensures dependable supply. FS offers services and flexible, convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply. For grain drying, choose FS Propane. FS Propane brings the heat. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com 
to learn more. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Peanut butter and jelly, cookies and milk, football in your favorite recliner. Some things work best in pairs. Enlist E3 soybeans from Golden Harvest are no different. Our exclusive Enlist E3 varieties have strong agronomics and disease tolerance for your conditions. Get yours from Golden Harvest today for a pairing that performs. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks displayed or otherwise used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company and List E3 Soybean Technology is jointly developed with Dow AgroSciences LLC and MS Technologies LLC. And List E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences LLC. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Each month, we check in with Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist. I got the numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer and Michael, thank you for joining us. I see for the third month in a row, and really probably not surprising, third month in a row we're seeing the numbers uh, down. Are these down for both current and future conditions? Yes, the index dropped from 124 to 121, and, and both the index of current conditions and the index of future expectations dropped slightly. Uh, and so both of, both of the sub-indices uh, were down as well as the overall Ag Economy Barometer Index. And I said not surprising when you consider uh, supply chain issues, you consider input costs and concerns about availability. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty floating around right now in the ag economy. That's certainly the case. And, and for the last two months, we've been asking a question uh, related to what is what is your biggest concern? And we have four buckets that they can that they can four uh, different ways they can answer that question. One is higher input costs. Another one is government policies. Another one is lower crop and livestock prices. The other one is COVID's impact. And higher input costs has, has been right at about 45% uh, both the last two months as being the, as being the biggest concern. Uh, the next biggest concern is government policies. We need to drill down a little bit uh, to see exactly what they're thinking about government policies. But there's just a lot of uncertainty uh, related to government policies, policies. And here we're talking about tax policies. Uh, reg, reg, regulations, those kinds of things, in, in addition to uh, you know farm programs, uh, and and so yes, uh, the input cost is, is really is really on in, uh, people's minds, and just a lot of uncertainty on, on how high some of those costs are going to go. Yeah, I think that's the key word: uncertainty. We just don't know. No, we just don't know, and that's that's particularly true of. A, uh, fertilizer and chemicals, uh, you know, availability has been an issue for those items, but also just really large uh, price increases, and so and, and so this is going to this is going to have some legs. I think this is going to this uncertainty is is going to is going to uh, uh, be important for the next several months. We've seen farmland values stay very strong, record-setting in places, and it looks like farmers expect that to continue. Yes, I mean we we still have really good uh, net returns for 2021, and so and so that along with uh, some inflation pressure, which is positive towards land, 
low interest rates. There's just a lot of positive factors for land, uh, you know, compared to some other other assets in, in agriculture. Uh, when you look at the, uh, the, the strong net returns and, and, and think people think about where to park their money, uh, certainly availability of new machinery is limited. Uh, used machinery is very expensive. Uh, you know, uh, buildings are, are, are sometimes difficult to get the materials. It's, it's expensive uh, in, in many cases uh, to build buildings and grain bins more expensive than it was a, a year ago. And so, and so people seem to be uh, using some of the, the, the strong earnings in 2021 for down payments on land. And so, uh, and so the demand for land is, is, is really strong right now. You have been asking as well about uh, carbon sequestration and opportunities maybe to generate some income from that. Uh, we're not hearing as much about it right now as we were a few weeks ago, a few months ago, but it's still an issue, a uh, possibility. What are farmers saying about that? Well, it's been very consistent. We asked this question uh, January, February, March, and April, and again uh, in October. And, and one, of, one of the questions we asked, are you aware of opportunities? Not necessarily did you negotiate, uh, you know, negotiate with, with a company. Are you aware of opportunities? And that stands right about 30%. That's been very consistent, uh, you know, early this year and, and also in October. What's a little bit surprising to us is, is how many that uh, actually have discussed uh, carbon op- opportunities. You know, we don't have a sample of, of 400, but only 2%, which is a very small number. Uh, in October, had actually discussed, uh, you know, some of these carbon contracts with companies. Uh, earlier this year, it was only 4%. So even though there's a lot of awareness uh, of opportunities out there, uh, there's a very small number of people that have actually uh, actually negotiated uh, with companies uh, related to carbon. When you compare the index now to where it was a year ago, we know 2020 was a you know a difficult year with the COVID and everything. Uh, but how does it compare? It does not necessarily compare favorably uh, with with the index with, with the index starting in about August last year. Uh, the the uh, the Agri-Kami Barometer Index itself is is the lowest it's been since July uh, 2020 and. You know, when you start talking May, June, July of 2020, prices were relatively low. Uh, you know, obviously we have stronger prices now, but as we talked about earlier, uh, what's changed so much is the input price picture. Uh, you, you go back in, in, in 2020, and, and the input prices really were fairly low. Uh, you know, compared to the, you know, compared to uh, what they are now, certainly, and so, and so that's what's really changed uh, when you when you compare uh, right now to to a year before. We do have stronger prices, uh, but uh, probably that's overwhelming uh, to a larger degree. Uh, some of those larger prices is is, is this large increase in, in uh, input prices and in the uncertainty uh, related to availability of inputs and and how high some of these input prices are really going to go. We're talking with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer looking at the uh, latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Michael, I always find it interesting to see trends in the economy. You can have the ag economy trending one way and the general economy another way, but sometimes they hook up and some of the same issues uh, can really be impacting both. The supply chain issues are are impacting everyone across the economy. Uh, We've talked about it's a concern in agriculture. It's a concern across, uh, across the economy. Yeah, in, in, in many ways, agriculture is being hit even harder uh, with inflation. You look at inflation in the general economy, and it, it's running more around six, five, six percent. Uh, when you start looking at uh, inflation in the ag economy, it's higher than that. Uh, you start looking at break-even prices specifically for corn and soybeans, you're looking at something that's closer to 10, 10 to 15 percent higher, uh, you know, in 22 compared to 21. And so, and so, yes, uh, the, the inflation is very similar. Supply chain issues are very similar uh, with agriculture, with other industries, but agriculture in some ways is getting hit harder. What are farmers saying about the, their plans to make purchases, major purchases? And, of course, a lot of that may depend on whether it's even available. I think that's one of the reasons why the Farm Capital Investment Index is relatively low. I mean, it's certainly uh, a lot lower than it was for most of 2020, particularly from July on. 
uh, in 2020. It's just the, just the availability of new machinery is somewhat limited, and then and then uh, you know used used uh, machinery prices are, are fairly high right now, and so I think that's really uh, tapering the demand for farm capital uh, investments. I think if we didn't have the uh, the situation we have with the supply uh, chain issues, I think we'd see a lot more interest in, in farm uh, capital investment uh, purchases. And so the, and so right now the, the index is relatively low. It did increase a little bit from September, but it's still below 50. I mean, there's a lot of people that are not planning on making any purchases, whether that be machinery or buildings in grain bins. Another thing that was was really interesting to me uh, is, is we've been asking this question related to cash rents. Uh, do you expect cash rents to be uh, you know lower, the same, or higher? And this month, uh, there was fewer people that expected cash rents to be higher. It was running about 50%, uh, you know, through September. Uh, we asked been asked that question for several months. That dropped down to 43% in October, and so that tells you that people are more worried about these margins uh, going into 22 than they than they were even a month ago. Uh, you know, indicating that there's there's less pressure perhaps uh, to increase cash rents. The, the pressure's still there. Uh, to increase land values, but there's less pressure, um, you know, uh, looking in October results compared to uh, a month or two earlier uh, to increase cash rents. One of the things that uh, I've learned talking with you each month about this is is look at the current numbers. Yes, those get the headlines, but it's the future conditions, the indications, that's the the confidence or lack thereof of future issues. To me, that becomes more and more the the big story from the uh, from these monthly numbers. Yes, and the, and the fact that the index of future expectations remains below the index of current conditions means that there's just a lot of uncertainty out there, uh, just as we indicated, and and it's and it's really threefold. Uh, you know where price is going to end up. That that's a very uncertain, and it usually is, and so that's not that different, uh, perhaps. But certainly, there's a lot of uncertainty with the input cost, but also with government policies. Uh, you know what, what kind of regulations are coming down the pike uh, for, for, that might impact agriculture. You know, uh, you know some of the some of the the issues related to estate taxes don't look like they're going to be quite as tough on agriculture as they appeared to be a few months ago. But that that those those rules are still being written, uh, are still being developed, and and so there's still cons- some concerns about tax policy. And so and so as we indicated a couple different times during this conversation, there's just a lot of uncertainty, and that really pulling down that index of future expectations. Yeah, very interesting. Michael, good to talk with you again. We'll check in next month. Yep, talk to you next month. All right, Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, with the latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer, third month in a row that the numbers have declined. Up next, we're going to look at the shifts in population. The move had been away from rural America going into the pandemic, but one of the things coming out of the pandemic, people wanting to come back to rural America. We'll talk about those trends next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products? But I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron Herbicide? Mm-hmm. And the 4 bushel advantage Saltro seed treatment has over Olivo seed treatment? Yeah. And the 18 and a half bushels per acre advantage from Travipro fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal, is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta rep to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. That's our goal at AOA. Each weekday, you get an hour of the latest takes from people who know agriculture, the policymakers, and the people who have the inside scoop on what's happening behind closed doors. People who have their finger on the pulse of Washington and agriculture around the world. AOA is your daily source for all the information you need to stay in the know. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen with this market update. Well, the dynamic wheat rally continued unabated overnight, despite the fact that markets are technically very overbought. We have seen that rally back off, though, as we've gotten into the day session with Minneapolis spring wheat just slightly higher, with Chicago and KC wheat now trading slightly lower. Cord futures have backed off from highs overnight as well. 
While the soybean market continues to be moderately higher, although bean oil is starting to fade a little bit as well. Now, corn is still up, and it's up for the eighth straight day, but can it hold in the face of slow export demand? Weather ahead is cold and dry, leading to an acceleration of harvest as well. Now, recent market behavior suggests that commodity inflation is drawing money into the sector with the focus on uh, the assets that have the best story, and that has been Minneapolis wheat, the edible oils, and corn. We'll see if that continues. Stonex released the results of its November 1st customer production survey Monday afternoon, revealing that both this year's quarter soybean crops are getting bigger. Survey pegged the U.S. corn yield at a record 177.7 bushels per acre and the soybean crop at 51.9 bushels per acre. We'll see a lot of other private estimates released this week as we get to USDA's next WASDE report due out on Tuesday. Currently, December quarter up three quarters, 579 to three quarters. March quarter up three quarters at 587 to three quarters. November soybeans seven and a half higher, 1244 to quarter. January beans up seven and a quarter, 1255 to three quarters. December bean meal up 440 a ton, 333.50. December soybean oil down 8.6189. December Chicago wheat three quarters lower, 796 and a half. December Kansas City wheat down 3803 and a half. December spring wheat up one and a half at 1077. Cattle features moderately to triple digits higher in live and feeder trade with lean hogs slightly lower. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. I mentioned this earlier, but um, we may be talking tomorrow with Secretary Vilsack. He'll be in Scotland for the climate change conference going on over there. And uh, he'll be there to talk about how agriculture can play a part in uh, dealing with climate issues. So we hope to be able to make that connection tomorrow and talk with Secretary Vilsack about that. So that uh, we're working on that, and hopefully that'll come through. Um, We're also trying to get our next guest Julie Davis with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers and hopefully we'll be able to get her because this is a very interesting uh, study that is going on. Um, It looks at the trends that are going on as far as where the population is shifting to. Uh, Before the pandemic we saw more and more people moving towards the uh, urban areas. And then along comes COVID, and all of a sudden now we started seeing a shift back to more rural areas, and there are a number of reasons why that would happen. Um, Of course, one of them being cost of living. That's always a key issue. Uh, Others, I think, just a thought, it might be a healthier place, maybe in less populated areas, although there are always concerns about available health care, so that's something... Uh, that we have to look at as well. But one of the keys to whether or not there's really going to be a big move towards rural areas, and this ties into another topic we've talked about a lot, is going to be and continues to be around broadband. Uh, you know, how accessible is broadband? Because we've, we make this point a lot, and we've seen it happen a lot, that you can do business from anywhere. You can be in a, a very rural area of the country and do business globally if 
if you have the technology, the broadband accessibility, things like that, that allows you to do that. So we talk a lot about the need for um, broadband across the country, not only availability, but uh, reliability and that service. And if we can get that, it could really open up the doors for more rural communities to to grow and and to attract people so I think that is key now we have Julie Davis with us she's director of workforce development with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers and Julie thank you for joining us I was just kind of setting this up uh, how we've seen kind of a change in where the population is moving and the impact uh, the pandemic has had on this yes uh, it is good news for rural America isn't it yeah as we see people coming back and I said there are a number of reasons uh, that may be happening, cost of living and a lot of other things. But really the key is going to be can they find what they need in rural America, such as broadband? That is absolutely true. I think that um, as a nation, if we can look at broadband as one of those critically um, important elements to add into the infrastructure, um, we can really support that rural population and their success. I have, I've, for years I've seen this. Uh, you go out into small communities in rural America, and you'll find someone uh, uh, doing business there on a global basis. And they say, as, as long as we have good internet, we can do that. But that's you can't always get that, and that's the challenge, right? That that really is one of the the biggest issues for um, companies that are working in the rural location, um, as far as recruiting employees to come out and work with them. Um, obviously, every employee that comes uh, is probably bringing a family member or spouse or something like that. And, you know, spouses need to work as well. And uh, teenagers have expectations about what their life should be like in their experience. And all of that uh, is really tied back into do we have a robust infrastructure um, broadband system. So absolutely, it's one of the most critical elements. And I know I actually moved um, out of a rural location a couple of years ago, and uh, while I was living and working in that, uh, we did a lot of legislative work to say, hey, you know, broadband needs to be a part of um, our living experience in this area and part of building our workforce there. So, Yeah, it's not the only issue, but it's a key one. I mean, a lot of other things, health care, school systems, a lot of those are big factors as well. They really are, and you know, as we as we talk with our members about you know how do you be successful um, in getting talent in rural areas? How do you be successful in getting people to come to rural areas? I think that one of the trends that I have seen that has been the absolutely number one most successful thing that that rural communities can do is create regional initiatives where they have key stakeholders in the community that have identified common goals for the community. Um, They have created a common vision and then they are working together um, with, you know, all of the, the, um, you know, kind of creativity, innovation, resources that those key stakeholders can have. And they put those forces together and work together to accomplish those goals. Um, And that is, you know, those critical companies, um, the education system, it is, you know, their chamber or economic development corporations, and pooling their efforts in a rural community is absolutely necessary. So, you know, as we're, as your uh, folks are listening, what I would say is if you're in a rural community that does not have that kind of, um, you know, initiative going on where you've got a pool of key stakeholders that are collaboratively working towards that goal, that is literally, you know, the most effective way to pull people in and accomplish the things that rural communities need to have done. We're talking with Julie Davis, Director of Workforce Development for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. And and Julie, some things you can't control, uh, the weather that you have in your particular part of rural America, but you have other things you can control, as you just mentioned, play to your strengths and make sure that you're maximizing those. That is, that's exactly it. And, you know, when you get, um, when you get a community that is leveraging the intellectual strength of their key stakeholders, 
they have lived there, you know, look around and say, what is it? Is it a great educational system? Is it, um, you know, easy access to recreational areas? Is it, you know, that you do have a robust, uh, you know, broadband access? You really need to have that multi-perspective view when you're sitting down at the table and saying, what makes being here, um, you know, really really work? You know, how can we leverage the things that, you know, we enjoy when we're living here? How do we take those things that we really value and communicate that out um, as we're trying to, to draw people to our area? And uh, you have to have that diversity of thought in order to, um, you know, understand what all of those uh, key points are. I mentioned this reverse trend in the migration of, of the population. It had been going towards the urban areas before COVID and now seems to be reversing and coming back to somewhat to rural Americas. And we're just talking about things that can help enhance that. How strong of a trend are we seeing back to rural communities? You know, it looks like um, we had uh, 58% positive net migration as I'm looking at a, a really recent research report that was going out in over a thousand rural counties um, between 2012, 13 to 2016 and 17. So, you know, we're getting some really positive uh, reversal in trends statistically as far as people, um, you know, kind of reconsidering. And a lot of that is based on you know, what they want as far as uh, housing footprint and space, um, what they want as far as their outside experience um, in just their yard. <laughs> and uh, and I think a lot of that, too, is um, what they want in their lifetime experience. You know, what, what are those things that are important to them? So, you know, definitely um, they're there is statistically uh, a change that people are moving back into those communities. And I think that, you know, smart community leaders, smart business leaders will take advantage of this um, new trend and really try to leverage it. Uh, You know, if they haven't worked to, you know, work with their chamber of commerce or work with their tourism department, um, really, I think the message that they should take away is, now is the time. Now is the time to leverage this as people are looking for that different experience. Yeah, the opportunity is there. You have to be able to take advantage of it. I mean, they're not just going to come to these areas if they don't have the things we've talked about, the things they're looking for. But if you can offer these things, uh, then you have a good chance of people coming out to your communities to live. Yeah. And I think the other really relevant fact is this new, you know, emphasis on work, uh, the infrastructure. And so, you know, again, companies who are looking at this and saying, you know, we are struggling to get talent. Um, You know, we really want to maximize uh, the opportunity that we have as people are starting to, you know, migrate to rural populations. Um, they need to be connected with their workforce development departments. Um, a lot of that federal funding is going to kind of filter down through their state and out to those workforce development boards. And companies need to be connected to that um, and need to be having the conversations of how critical that broadband infrastructure is with their workforce development department um, in their boards so that that you know, as as those workforce boards are making decisions about how to spend the money in their region, um, that those those business owners are weighing in on the importance of that um, infrastructure. Yep. That's interesting. Julie, thank you very much for giving us a look at this important issue. Thank you. All right. Thank you for having me today. Julie Davis, Director of Workforce Development for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Up next, a harvest report from Nebraska. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Peanut butter and jelly, cookies and milk, football in your favorite recliner. Some things work best in pairs. Enlisty 3 soybeans from Golden Harvest are no different. Our exclusive Enlisty 3 varieties have strong agronomics and disease tolerance for your conditions. Get yours from Golden Harvest today for a pairing that performs. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks displayed or otherwise used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company. Enlisty 3 soybean technology is jointly developed with Dow AgroSciences LLC and MS Technologies LLC. Enlisty 3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences LLC. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And our guest today is Justin Colley, Director of Transportation for CHS, with an update on the current shipping crisis and how that impacts agriculture. The big issue, transportation, moving grain, moving fertilizer, getting inputs. What's the latest? Well, there's several things happening right now in transportation. First, we can talk about is in the barge freight market. We've had a lot of recent strong rains in the Midwest. And, and while these are really good for river drafts, meaning we can load more grain in these barges, the rains have impacted the harvest progress as you look at Illinois and Iowa. And really, river barge loading has slowed down significantly. From a rail perspective, the railroads have overall performed quite well handling the harvest ramp up. Volumes are moving on the rail at prior to harvest were quite low. We were all a bit nervous about how the railroads have handled this really tremendous volume spike, but so far so good, you know, the railroads have delivered. And then the ocean freight really is kind of an interesting one to talk about. These are some of the strongest ocean freight prices right now that we've seen in a long time. These higher shipping costs of shipping by sea are favoring shorter sea routes. So we've seen the Pacific Northwest be very, very competitive to destinations like East Asia compared to the longer shipping routes. So with the delays plus the freight rates for the near term, what should farmers thinking ahead already to next year, what should they keep in mind for the 2022 growing season? So the farmers need to know that the supply chain is stressed right now. And as they think ahead about mechanical parts they need for their, their farming equipment, as well as other goods they might need that is sourced abroad, they'll need to keep in mind that lead times are longer. So the delivery of these goods will be extended and the costs are likely going to be higher. Shipping costs are very high right now. That's Justin Colley, Director of Transportation for CHS. And that's Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. 
Now, back to Mike Adams. We continue to check on Harvest 21 and how it's going. Some places done, other places hoping to finish soon, weather permitting. Let's go to Nebraska, eastern Nebraska, and Greg Anderson, soybean farmer there. Greg, how are you? Are you done? Uh, good morning, Mike. I am pleased to report that, uh, yes, I am done. I finished on October 21st, which is a nice time of the year to uh, get done. And I was especially glad because uh, starting about the 24th through the 27th, we had uh, nearly two and a half inches of rain. So it did uh, put a stop to both corn and soybean harvest in the immediate area with that moisture. But I tell you, you know, that moisture was uh, really uh, well received. It was good to get that, too. So what about those around you that aren't done it? How close are they? Well, Mike, I would say virtually all the soybeans in my immediate area are are finished. I was talking with a farmer in southeast Nebraska uh, this morning where there's some beans left there, maybe about three-quarters of the way done down that way. But uh, here, uh, people are working uh, pretty hard on corn. And when the winds picked up after those uh, cold fronts and, and rains uh, went through. Uh, it did settle things uh, very quickly, and people were able to resume uh, uh, corn harvest in, in good shape. And I understand uh, that's going pretty pretty heavily around here right now, but uh, there's a lot of corn left out in the fields yet. And I know uh, people are going to be really looking forward to this uh, harvest window here the next week or so of some clear weather, maybe highs in the 50s and in the low 60s, which would be just really ideal for finishing that crop out of the field. Again, you are all soybeans. Were you happy with your yields? You know, I was, Mike. Uh, all in all, it was a it was a decent year. It was a it was a very good year, uh, despite the fact that the first three weeks of August uh, uh, just patterned uh, the previous year. We just didn't uh, get the rainfall that we would have liked to receive, and what normally happens in August. And as everyone knows, uh, beans are are kind of made in August, uh, filling the those pods and the seed size and. I was uh, pleased with the seed size. It seemed like it wasn't uh, small seeds, and uh, we did get some rains there late August, which really boosted it. It came just in time to make a, a nice crop, and I think everyone is, uh, you know, appreciative of the of the better price this year. That certainly helps on the revenue side, and so uh, now it's a, a time where I'm pulling uh, soil samples and sending them off to the lab, see what's out there for fertilizer, and and make some decisions there. And I think. Everybody's kind of scared of uh, the fertilizer prices the way they sit right now. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a big topic of conversation. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think it's going to really uh, make some people uh, take a, a sharp pencil to their uh, portfolio and just see what uh, what can be done. Uh, do we put a maintenance-type fertilizer on there? Do we have enough to get by for another year? Maybe hopefully these prices will come down, or, or uh, maybe, you know, there's always some some fields that really do need to be addressed, and, uh, and we can't skimp on those fields. And so uh, it's going to be uh, a little bit more difficult, uh, I think, for those decisions uh, this fall. Do you think some could switch acres, maybe more to beans? You know, that's that's a possibility, and I think it probably will happen in some, some uh, locations and with some growers. However, uh, I know in Nebraska, especially eastern Nebraska, people are pretty much locked into that corn-soy rotation, and so uh, they're going to uh, put a pencil to it, I'm sure, but at the same time, uh, they like the rotation, they like the uh, back-and-forth uh, type of uh, mixture on their farms, and it, you know, if, it, if that's been working for them, uh, that's great, and uh, I think they'll find a way to get it done. It's interesting to see this uh, corn price uh, kind of move steadily up here these last uh, few days, and uh, I think we're maybe already in the battle for some acres. And, uh, of course, uh, we'll see how that turns out here as, as the weeks and months go by. Greg, as I mentioned, you're all soybeans. Did you have any sudden death uh, or SCN issues this year that you didn't know of? The only thing that I had a little bit of, of Mike, that I could really uh, say that might affect it a little bit was some frog eye leaf spot. I kind of battled with that. But then I did put apply fungicide, and I think uh, you know if that got on there in time, it sure took care of it. I uh, have not seen any sudden death. And... Uh, what I always encourage growers to do is to test for uh, soybean cyst nematode. You know, that pest underground uh, can really do some damage, and it's not uh, visible until the, the combine uh, rolls. And so uh, send soil samples in for that. I haven't uh, been being continuous beans. I, I 
would probably be more susceptible to have soybean cyst nematode, but uh, I, I just don't. I think no-till helps with that and uh, just in my operation. But, uh, yeah, there's always always either pests or uh, diseases out there, and, and that can rob yield both uh, with corn, uh, wheat, uh, soybeans, uh, any crop. In your part of Nebraska, are farmers using cover crops much? Uh, more and more uh, they are doing that, especially those growers who are uh, cutting silage can get that cover crop uh, on and established quickly. And uh, there's a lot of seed corn raised in Nebraska, and so that's taken off early as well. And uh, I've seen some cover crops already being uh, uh, up and sprouting and, and going pretty pretty well right now. So uh, that's a practice that I think is is getting more acceptance and um, something that I haven't done yet, but certainly am open to, and we'll see if that can work sometime. You are a strong advocate for biodiesel. You've worked hard in that area. Uh, what are your thoughts on these climate issues and, and the different things that uh, we're hearing policies seemingly going more towards electric vehicles? Do you, are you concerned that biofuels like biodiesel might get left out? Well, in the long term, you know, electric is taking a lot of the press right now. It's, it's, it's uh, very attractive to people talking about uh, reducing carbon in that way. But, but that's going to be a long, long time, and we're even talking decades out uh, before we see any possibility of electric uh, taking over the over-the-road uh, diesel market. So we have that solution right now, Mike, with biodiesel, renewable diesel can reduce carbon and uh, give that liquid fuel the performance that everyone demands, as well as clean air. Right, we've got it right now. Let's use it. All right, Greg, glad to hear harvest uh, went well for you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Great to talk with you. Nebraska farmer Greg Anderson, thanks for joining us. Hope to talk with you again tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. As harvest begins, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to be diligent in taking the proper precautions to ensure treated seed does not enter the domestic or export grain supply. When properly handled, seed treatments are an effective agronomic tool that provides seeds the necessary protection for a strong, healthy start. Completely remove all treated seed left in containers and equipment used to handle harvested grain and dispose of it properly. Always be careful to follow state and federal guidelines for proper handling, storage, and disposal of treated seed. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer.